Hello, everyone. This is Ari in the Air. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Today, I've got a really amazing episode for you with my new friend, Marianne. Marianne is a nonviolent communication educator. She has a YouTube channel called Cup of Empathy. You can check out her work there, as well as her website, cupofempathy.com. And I'm going to try to preface this talk that we had here just a little bit so that I can kind of help you understand what we're talking about here. Nonviolent communication is a framework. It is a way of communicating. It was developed by a man named Marshall Rosenberg, who traveled around the country and the world facilitating communication as well as doing lectures and workshops, educating people as to how to communicate in this new way. He wrote a book. I referred to the book a number of times, but as I read the book, it was difficult to integrate into my life. That's where Marianne's YouTube channel, Cup of Empathy, became so helpful. And since I derived so much value from it, I wanted to reach out to her. And she was kind enough to come on the show and help answer some questions and kind of we just jam on nonviolent communication in general. So I highly recommend you look into this. It has been life-changing for me and many others. It is not easy. It takes a lot of courage to face the ways in which we have been conditioned to communicate and the to undertake the task of unwriting these old patterns and learning a new pattern of communication, of feeling, of thought. It is an awareness of yourself. It is a very beautiful thing. It is transformational for your relationship with yourself as well as others, and I can't recommend it enough. How do you do that? I think maybe the best way is to just do some reading online, maybe check out the book, Nonviolent Communication, and the best resource that I found is literally Marianne's YouTube channel, so I highly, highly recommend it. She also, on her website, has a number of resources. They are needs lists and feelings lists, and these are essentially vocabulary sheets for you to start labeling and understanding, communicating, and hearing this new way of communicating that focuses on feelings and needs, and it's a very beautiful thing. So... Like I said, I can't recommend you looking into nonviolent communication more. I cannot recommend that more. And Marianne is a incredibly powerful resource for this. So I'm so glad to present her and her work on this channel. Super glad you're here. As always, if you enjoy this show, consider leaving a review and even better, become a patron on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash airy in the air or you can make a one-time donation at PayPal. That's paypal.me slash airy in the air. Hope you guys like it. As always, here's a little bit of music and my talk with 
Marianne from Cup of Empathy. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, glad to be here. So I found you on YouTube after having a book for so many years. I had Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg, and I have read it so many times. And the book just, it laid out a beautiful picture of a different way to communicate that would help me express myself, hear other people, and be more connected. But it was so difficult to take the lessons in the book and integrate them into my life. And one of the things that I found on your YouTube channel was that it was almost like your lessons on YouTube were the bridge that I needed that really helped understand what these things looked like in practice, what some of the hurdles and speed bumps were. And so I thought that was so helpful to me. And so I wanted to reach out and maybe um, see if I could bring some of those similar lessons, as well as just share the work that you're doing with my audience. So thanks so much for all of the work. It's really helpful. Yeah, I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> so if you could, I would love to hear your version of what is nonviolent communication? I've tried to explain it to a couple of my friends recently, and I'm not sure how well of a job I'm doing, but I would love to hear your brief uh, go-to about what NVC is. Yeah. I was afraid you were going to ask that when you were giving this introduction. I was like, oh no, he's going to ask what is <laughs> And I should know by now, right? But it's, yeah. so it, it is tough to explain. So I'll, I'll try. I'll try to do it. So, I mean, the short version is, is that it's, it's a communication method that really focuses on going beyond right and wrong. For me, that's an important aspect that we, the way we, we grow up, we get taught like, this is what you have to do. You know, you have to go to school. Mm. You have to be polite and say sorry. And um, that's something that's, uh, that leads to conflict because someone else might say, no, you don't have to say sorry. Or, you know, that's, that's what, gets people to, to clash with each other. So what Marshall Rosenberg says is that beyond those, those ideas of right and wrong, so beyond the have-tos and the shoulds and the judgments, there are um, what he calls universal needs. Mm -hmm. And so that means that maybe I'm going too detailed now, but that, but that means that, um, for example, the need for love, the need for appreciation, 
the need for harmony. Everybody knows that. And so when I say a judgment to someone, so maybe I, maybe I say to my partner, like, you don't care about me. You know, you, you go to your friends five days a week. So you don't care about me. And that's a judgment, right? And so if I, instead, if I say, what is my needs, which could be something like reassurance, like I want to, I just want to be, I don't even want him to stay at home five days a week, you know, if I'm honest, but I do want to be like sort of reassured that he likes me and he loves me. So if I can sort of slow down and, and instead of, you know, saying that judgment, if I can connect with myself and see that, well, actually, I'm just a bit scared. I'm just a bit insecure. I just need mm. to be reassured. If I say that, I create a connection. So that's that's sort of like <laughs> in a in a really a really small nutshell how you yeah how you can sort of prevent conflict, resolve conflict that way, and also be more close to yourself. That's that's what mm. I found, and I I find that a lot of my students say that 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 was actually they they come to me because they want to connect better with their boss or their colleague or their family. But then they say, well, actually, I'm connecting more with myself. I know actually what is it that I feel or what I need behind all those mental, the mental chatter sort of. Yeah, wow. It, it really is such a profound uh, framework. It's a profound framework and, and it is difficult to explain and it's difficult to understand. So there's a couple of things that you say that like there's the very famous quote by Rumi that's a excerpt from his poem that says beyond ideas of right and wrong there is a field I'll meet you there that's um that's very much nonviolent communication the mm -hmm. idea that as you would work with this framework it would bring more of yourself to yourself is exactly what I've found as well. I think that one of the things that we almost incessantly say over and over is that the quality of your relationships is based on the quality of the relationship with yourself. We say that over and over and we actually, it seems like we don't actually understand that, but as I've worked with nonviolent communication in the last number of months, I have found that exact same thing with myself as well, that I feel like I'm just maybe more honest with myself, or I have a new way of seeing what I actually need. And I've had a very interesting experience relating to nonviolent communication. And one of the things that's come up most powerfully for me is grief. As I've learned about this way of communicating that helps me express and helps me hear people's needs. I've just grieved at the reality that I've grown up in a world that hasn't listened to me in that way, hasn't taught me to express myself in that way. One of the most profound things I've found about nonviolent communication is it seems to be something that cuts through all of the almost like social and mental aspects of communication. And it gets down to a more base level of what we actually need, our motivations, the things that we feel, the 
there's a more root cause of what our behaviors are. And nonviolent communication is also a very deep practice of intimacy, of being honest and intimate and letting yourself know what you're feeling or why you're feeling it or what your needs are. So these are all just things that I've um, kind of come across in as I've, as I've started diving into this. One of the most tangible difficulties I've had is it's essentially the problem of learning a language that no one speaks, right? Nonviolent communication is essentially learning a new language. Sometimes it's really chunky. Sometimes I feel like a robot. Sometimes I'm like, I know the rules, so to say, but I'm not exactly sure how to implement them. And I find that sometimes it feels inauthentic. Sometimes I'm not sure how to deal with, even if I give my best shot at speaking in nonviolent communication or listening with it, I don't know exactly how to deal with other people who are speaking to me in the old way, or I'm not sure how to speak to them in the new way, because I, I'm reluctant to say, are you feeling angry? Because, you know, <laughs> to guess yeah. their feelings and needs is, is a vulnerable moment. And so I, I know you've made videos on this, so I would love to hear your thoughts on how to integrate nonviolent communication into your existing relationships. It seems easy that if I, if I moved to a new place and I didn't know anyone and I started speaking to everyone in this new way, then they would just start kind of knowing me as that. But that's not the case. I have longstanding existing relationships, both intimate, personal, and professional that I'm trying to integrate this new way of communicating into. Sometimes it feels chunky. Sometimes I'm afraid that they're going to feel like I'm being inauthentic or scrutinizing them or telling them they're doing it wrong. This is the, this is the hardest part, telling them that they're doing it wrong or asking them to speak yeah. in a way that they're not. Yeah. Help, please help. Yeah, yeah, I really like this question because I think a lot of people can relate to it. So I think, like, I think that if those people would hear you say this, I imagine they would feel compassion like they would they would like it because actually what you're saying is i want to connect with these people and i find i saw this method that seems interesting but i want it to be authentic i don't want to come mm. across as a robot that's that's so there's that's beautiful and i think it's funny that a lot of people learn mvc and then they they learn about being honest and stuff but they, then they're not honest about hey i'm actually nervous about trying this mm -hmm. this this new method I'm, mm. i think you might find it weird I say something now, and I think I sound What do you think? It's to right to be complete. I've I've read this book and I thought it was fantastic. I have no idea how it will work in in real life. So mm -hmm. can I try it with you? And maybe to be kind of concrete, like hey, I I I, I heard that it could be helpful to listen a bit longer in silence to someone. Can I try that for five minutes with you? And then you can actually, it becomes also a little bit more collaborating rather than I'm doing something to you almost, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm, I'm trying something. You're like my secret project sort of. 
and yeah. yeah so if you if you if you really make it sort of an open thing but it can be tough i know with like if you want to do with your boss or something you know that maybe you don't you don't want to do it you want to do the more sneaky way sort of but yeah how does how does that sound as a first tip sort of yeah um it sounds like if i were to use one word for what you're recommending it is intimacy it's a, just another layer of intimacy it's like um i'm reading a book and it gives a definition of intimacy of sharing thoughts feelings and actions sharing authentic thoughts feelings and actions in real time basically just sharing mm -hmm. what is real in real time mm -hmm. yeah and yeah that's exactly what i just heard from you is that if it's nervous if you're trying something new you just have to tell them that that's the case. If you're worried about coming off as inauthentic, you just have to say that and let them into what's happening in you. And that yeah. can often break down that barrier and it becomes more collaborative. Yes, I think that's great. I think that's a great um, tip. And I and think that works for so many, go ahead. To be completely honest, I didn't do this. I did it the sneaky way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what I did, I, I, I just studied it a lot. And then I, I, I just, <laughs> I just, at least I thought, I thought no one noticed. I don't know. Maybe they did, but, <laughs> but I just, and that's another, another option to, to do it a bit more subtle. Like, uh -huh. like for example, if you're say the example with your boss, you, you might not want to tell them, Hey, I'm trying this new communication method for us to connect better because I think our connection is not that great or something. So to, and for example, one, one part of the MVC is about someone is saying something and you can't really connect with it. And then you guess their feeling, their true feeling, or you guess their need. And you might not do that with your boss out loud, but you could actually do that in your head. Mm -hmm. And what happens when you do that is it, it brings you in a different sort of state, like instead of, wow, he's so, he's trying to dominate me. You know, he's so, he's so bossy. I could be like, wow, he's, he, he, this, this is what he thinks that he should be doing as a boss. Maybe uh -huh. he feels, maybe actually feels insecure or uh -huh. he just doesn't really know what to do or yeah. It, yeah, it sort of brings you to another state of mind, I think. Yeah, I agree. That's, um, yeah. How would I describe that? I love that idea. Um, it's essentially like a state of empathy, almost like voids other states of being. Like if you can empathize with another person, how they're, how they're actually thinking or feeling or what their needs might be, it kind of takes you out of your own head, no? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a part of this, I guess, there's a part of this that is performative. That's like, it's something we have to like kind of practice. We kind of like have to have to just like kind of play with it. We almost mm -hmm. kind of have to uh, perform it until yeah. it's, until it's an embodied part of ourselves. And I think that the performative empathy is a really 
healthy, beautiful thing. The, the term performative can be derogatory in the sense that you are inauthentic. You're just pretending. But that's not how I mean it here. I mean it in a sense that you're actually playing, trying. Hmm. You know, you're, you're doing the dance. You're doing the dance. You don't know all the steps. You don't know how the song ends, but you're doing the dance. You're doing the steps. I think that's, I think that's a, another wonderful tip. You can both, the first one is that you can let them into how you're feeling, that you're trying something new, that you're trying to learn a new way of communication that kind of makes them not feel like the lab rat. It lets them know that there might be something chunky, that you're feeling a little nervous. It's an intimacy that it brings you both into. And the other one is you can instead of having to ask their feelings and needs, you can just preemptively empathize with them and become sympathetic of what might be going on in their head because that kind of brings them to a very human place. It brings you to a very human place dealing with someone who might, in the old way of speaking, has power over you, right? Your boss, these kind of obligatory relationships. I want to pinpoint one relationship that is the one that I'm working with NVC the most, and that's my intimate relationship. And my partner has bought the book and she's seen a number of your videos. And so at this, in this particular relationship, we both know what we're trying to do. We both know what we're trying to do. And I think it's actually, it's almost more difficult because since we both know what we're trying to do and we've almost agreed upon it, and we have these kind of ground rules, something that's come up is that we've kind of like gotten to a place where it's almost a power struggle at times that, wait, that's not a, that's not a feeling right? Like my partner says something. I'm like, well, that's, that's not a feeling. You know, we know that if you say, I feel like you, that's, that's actually not a feeling. So, um, so a moment like that, where we both know the rules and it's almost like it becomes like a kind of a call out. And it's like, it, we use nonviolent communication as a way to like resolve our conflicts more amicably but it's kind of like turning into something where it's like, no, you know, the rules, come on, play by the rules. So yeah. I'd love your, I'd love your tip here on this particular type of relationship. Yeah. Yeah. This is also very common. <laughs> I hardly know any couples that don't do that at some point. <laughs> so that's, that's very, I, I like that question again. Um, yeah. Cause what, what's, what's really happening there? I, I think it might be different for each couple, but I guess what could be happening is, is that if, so, so say your example, like, like I'm saying something like, uh, yeah, um, I feel ignored and mm -hmm. you're right. NBC would say like, that's, that's not a feeling. That's a thought. I, I think that you are ignoring me. Um, and so if you, if you then say to me, like, um, that's not a feeling, Actually, we're back on this sort of right and wrong level. Uh -huh. You're wrong. You're doing NBC wrong, uh -huh. right? 
Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's very normal that we, we tend to go to that level because that's how we usually speak. Uh, and so yeah, if we I so quickly go, fall back to that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the reason we do that, it, it's, it's automatic, but it could also be that you feel a bit attacked maybe, which is uh-huh. actually also not really a feeling, but you have this, <laughs> I, this experience of being attacked, you know, you think I'm judging you. Um, so then what, what you want to do instead is, is either empathize. So I say like, Hey, I feel, I feel ignored. So you could, you could guess like, maybe is it, is it, is it that you, I mean, maybe you want to know first what it's actually about. Like, are you referring to me being on my phone? You know, like you try to find what MVC mm. calls the observation, uh-huh, yeah. which is just like the neutral thing that someone speaks about the sort of the description of what's happening without any judgment or interpretation involved. So, so you try to go back to the, to the MVC level, sort of, so to the level of feelings, needs, and observations. Mm-hmm. And that's very tough because that's doing MVC in real life. Yeah. So that's. And, and it's tough because at this point, we're kind of triggered. At this point, we're like in a yeah. conflict and you've just broken the rules. And now you're upset that I've told you you're breaking the rules. And now we have yeah. to, now we have to like move past all of that and go back to the, the foundation. And that's very difficult. Yeah. It really is. Um, yeah. Hearing that I have another idea because it, it might, you might also want to talk about like, Hey, we, we both like this model. We want to try to apply it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we might forget about it. Mm-hmm. what do you want me to do when I notice that you forget about it? Do you want me to remind you mm. or do you want me to go in empathy? Which was mm-hmm. what I was shown just now. Maybe, maybe sometimes you like to be reminded, maybe sometimes you don't. Mm. So you could also make that a topic to talk about and to, to mm. sort of have this shared um, knowledge of like, yeah, it might happen, you know, that we, that we fall back and what do we do in that moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much of the difficulty is just fighting the old way, right? I don't think that learning the new thing is that hard. I think that forgetting the old thing is what's actually hard about this. And these ways of communication that we've been raised in are so deeply ingrained in us. These, these patterns of feeling where we feel blamed and then take on shame and then give ourselves an obligation of what we have to do. These, these patterns are just like so deeply ingrained in me. And so I think that's one of the reasons that as I've worked with nonviolent communication, that one of the main emotions that I've had come up is grief. That it's like, Mm -hmm. as I've made any kind of progress or I've learned a new thing, it's like just shown me how I was raised in a world that I was literally forced to go to school. Like mm-hmm. I was forced to go to school. If I didn't want to go to school, I had to make a very convincing fake vomit pile or pretend that my leg was broken or any number of things. And I remember those times in my life. I remember I remember in like second grade faking some kind of psychotic break that I was like crying. I like fake cried long enough that they're like, Oh, he needs to go home. And I was like, thank God, just get me out of here. I just don't want to be at school today. 
Yeah. Which is just so sad. Like, God, I just, the way that the world works and the way that the world talks to each other, it's like, um, I'm just, I have so much reverence for the, for Marshall Rosenberg and how deep, like how deep of a human nerve he had his finger on Mm. to like, for it to spill out into this new way of communication. It's really, it's incredibly profound. And it's amazing that the book that he wrote is, you know, it's like some 100 pages. It's not very long. It's very succinct. And it, I, I found that it, it uncovers so much of the way the world is, like how the world is, is how we talk to ourselves and one another. And yeah. so I think that's where the, that's where the power of nonviolent communication really is. So I would love to hear, um, you know, we've outlined a number of challenges and why it's so difficult to implement this. I would love to hear what's on the far side of this complexity. What is what is to be won and what does it look like when it works and when it's integrated? <laughs> hmm. Some hope, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I've seen a lot of hopeful things. I mean, you mentioned Marshall Rosenberg. He was able, like one of the most sort of hopeful stories I think he gave was that um, he went to Rwanda where there were, I think in the 90s, there were tribes that would literally kill each other's children. Yeah. And he managed to get those, the heads of those tribes together in a room where were, I think they, both, they all had several people that were sort of in the lead. And they actually, he managed in a day, I think, to, to, to explain to them what, why they were in conflict, why, why this was happening even. And they got it to the point that they were actually saying, wow, I think if we would all learn this, we wouldn't have to kill each other's children mm. or each other's people. And so, so that, that he did great things there. He also worked a lot of in Israel and Palestine. I think he, mm -hmm. he set up a lot of schools there. Um, didn't resolve the conflict obviously, but yeah. So, so I think it can, it can be on a very large scale. So it can really be on a, on a national scale and in resolving co conflicts between countries. Um, I've also personally seen students that were, you know, in their 50s and in their 60s coming to me and having had a relationship for 30 years that they weren't happy in. They, they were still in the relationship, but they weren't happy. And they were really coming to me like, you know, is this even, is it, is it, should I even bother, you know, at this mm -hmm. point? But they, they changed their relationship. And actually, it didn't take that long. It took a few months. You know, if you mm -hmm. imagine um, being in a relationship for years, and changing that just takes a few months. I thought that was really amazing. Mm. So yeah, it's, 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 um, and for me personally, um, I used to have like a lot of depressions and I think it had to do with not being able to, to just feel my feelings. I didn't know, even know about, really know about feelings, mm -hmm. how to feel them and what to do with them and, and how to speak about them with people. I wouldn't talk about how I felt with people. So of course it would get worse. I would just isolate myself. So yeah, for me, like after learning NBC, I think that's now 
six years ago. I haven't had any depression anymore. So it was quite, and it, I know there's people that know MVC and still have depression. So I'm not saying it's, it's a, it's a, you know, a, a magic thing, but for me, it was, it was kind of magical. To, uh, yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. It's, I, I've recently had a friend on the podcast. He's a ER doctor and he has started this program called mixed medical arts and Mixed medical arts is a way of thinking about your own healing and the capacity for your body to heal your healing journey and all of the different team members in your healing tribe, so to say, all the different doctors, chiropractors, nutritionists, Chinese medicine, all the way up to the imaging technician at the hospital. These are all mm. people, they're nodes in the network that might be a part of your healing journey. And the idea that NVC would be a tool for mental health is something I'm very sympathetic to. That mm. sounds like, um, you know, I, I hear your preface of, oh, I know people who know NVC and still have depression, but I would actually believe that if we, you know, like, who knows if we treated most people with mental health disorders or anyone who is seeking psychotherapy at all was introduced into NVC, I think we would find huge benefit from that. And another person who's been on the podcast, Dr. Annie Pendigraf is one of my best friends. She's a clinical psychologist and she works in a psych ward. She runs, she runs the facility that if you murder someone and you're declared insane, you go live the rest of your life at her facility. And they use nonviolent communication like extensively like it, they do quarterly trainings for all of the employees everyone in the building is is trained in nvc so i think that there's a lot of people that know the power but something i want to just i would love for you to elaborate on what is it what's the what's the connection between our ability to express and we can just say NVC, what is the connection between NVC and mental health? Hmm. Hmm. Wow, I don't know if I have the answer to that. Hmm. And you can speak anecdotally. Well, just... Yeah, what was it in your experience? Yeah, yeah. Even that, and I find it very hard to say, like somehow I almost can't, um, get connect with anymore like with how I was before mm. but I mean I'll, I'll just say something and see if I agree with myself sort of so yeah I so it has to do with 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 feelings that are in your body right so it's mm. so that's one thing I really liked your your example your um, that idea of this one person that wants to have all the medical uh, people like sort of integrated or like that you have this image of that um, so emotions are physical. It's a physical thing. And I think it's, it's a way of your body to sort of let you know, like, hey, something's going on. You know, you, be alerted. Like, you're scared about this. So actually, mm -hmm. maybe you want to move away or maybe you want to say something or state a boundary. And if, if every time an emotion comes up as a child and you hear, you don't need to be scared. You know, you don't need to cry. Mm -hmm. which is what we hear a lot right no need to no need to cry about this you're mm -hmm. fine 
so your then your your brain gets gets a message of okay well if i want to be loved and if i want to adjust adjust myself to my tribe i don't cry but then actually your system gets sort of messed up because the idea is that it lets you know things so you can mm -hmm. adjust yourself you can retreat or you can so if you don't know how to do that anymore it just the whole system is sort of yeah it doesn't doesn't work properly so i guess feelings just need to be felt mm -hmm. <laughs> that's that's the only thing that needs to be done like oh I, oh i feel fear okay uh, let me let me see like what is that related to maybe i need to do something maybe i just want to feel it mm -hmm. and yeah if you don't do that i think the body starts to instead of sort of whisper it starts to scream it starts to show in pain or in mm -hmm. burnout or it gets depression or Mm -hmm. that's yeah yeah that's, that's so I, interesting and i think that there's so much ancient knowledge that says that if you withhold your feelings you'll become constipated in one way or another mm -hmm. that your energy won't flow your cardiovascular system won't work as well your digestion will stop there are so many, you know, from Ayurveda to Chinese medicine, there's so many different and, and almost just like, like wives tales, right? Like, like just mm -hmm. like ancient myths of health and well-being state mm -hmm. this same kind of thing. And um, in modernity, we know, you know, books like The Body Keeps the Score and the research is quite comprehensive and compelling that our psychological or what I refer to as our emotional metabolism has such a profound effect on our health and our well-being, both mentally and physically. So the idea that learning a new way of communication and using nonviolent communication as a digestive aid almost. And it's almost like a stint. Is it not? It's almost like a stint. It's almost like a framework that you use as a way to like restart and bolster your emotional metabolism. And because I guess, I guess it's bringing up a question to me. Is there at some point You've been studying nonviolent communication for six years and teaching it. Is there at some point that the framework goes away? Is it like a brace? Is it like a brace that I just need to wear for a number of months until I just like learn to walk in this new way so I can take it off and just live my life and it just like works better? Um, I would say for me personally, more or less, yes. But then sometimes I... I do need to consciously, like I have this sheet that I fill in where I just really fill in like, okay, what's, what's my feeling right now? What's my need? I actually get my need card out. Uh -huh. So that's like, I still do that um, depending on maybe if I really have a bad day or, or there's a really challenging conflict, I might really want to consciously go back to the, the stitches. Uh -huh. um, but most of the time, yeah, most of the time it just sort of comes natural now and it doesn't take energy at all. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. 
<laughs> I'm looking forward it's, to that. It's, it's like you say, it's like learning a new language, you know, at some point. It is. For me, English is, is, feels natural now. And then there's these moments that, that I'm like, damn, I don't know how to say that word. Uh -huh. And I look it up, you know, and it, it's again a bit like stiff or, but yeah. Hmm. There's a, another thing that nonviolent communication illuminated for me. And the analogy that Marshall Rosenberg uses is so funny that I love saying it. And I've said it so many times. And that is, it refers to obligations. And when you ask someone to do something for you, you also ask them to only do it if they can do it in the spirit of a happy child feeding a hungry duck. And so yeah. I would, I would love to hear from you, help us understand what this means and why it's important. Yeah. Yeah. So say that you, you ask me to do something like you need to move and you want to ha have someone help you and you're my friend and I, uh, you're asking me this. And then I think to myself, well, I really hate moving, but you're my friend. So I have to do it. Right. That's what I tell myself. And so I do it and, but I'm losing energy, right? Because I, I don't like it. And actually there's maybe even a little bit of resentment building in me uh -huh. because I'm doing things for you that I don't really want to do. So I associate our relationship with, with, um, how, what do you call that? Um, have tos with obligation. obligation. Yeah. yeah. And so next time, maybe you want, I want you to do something for me you know, my computer doesn't work and I want you to, to, to have a look at it or something uh -huh. because you're good at that. And then you're like, no, I'm sorry. I have to do this other thing. And then I get angry. Why do I get angry? Well, because there was already this resentment and I'm doing, doing an obligation for you. So now you have to do an obligation for me. Uh -huh. It's and a that's power where struggle. I, I don't know if it's a power struggle as much as just, just expectation. I get expectations. Um, yeah, maybe it is a power struggle. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, if you keep but score, it, it's like the score is the power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely this this keeping keeping score, and this is we do this so much. This yeah. is sort of normal, like you know. But they did something for you, so now you have to do something for them, and it it makes the relationship. Um, yeah, you start to associate it with obligation, and it starts to be all the energy goes out of it because it's you want to give out of joy. Mm -hmm. that's that's what marshall means with this whole idea of the the kid that feeds the dog the duck <laughs> yeah the hungry duck yeah and it's this is another thing that as i learned it i just like saw back into my childhood that i basically lived uh in obligation nonstop, and i think we all did i don't know i don't know anyone i don't personally know anyone who was raised in a way that wasn't for the most part obligated, that they had to do things. They didn't actually yeah. have a choice. They didn't actually have agency and sovereignty as a child. I think one of the things that, that one of the parts of me that is so struck by NVC, the part that comes up as grief is I am so sensitive to the treatment of children. And I think that nonviolent communication is a very humane way to talk to children. 
And so as I've learned it, I just, it illuminates the old world for me. It illuminates how I was treated as a child and how children are just regularly treated. And that just brings tears and tears and tears out of me. The idea of obligation, and I love how you put it, that if you went to move for your friend, but you don't actually like to do it, it drains you. It sucks the energy out of you. It creates resentment. And it associates your relationship with obligation. It is essentially poison. It's poison mm -hmm. for every part of your relationship. Okay, so now what? What do we replace our obligation with? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so say that, that you were to ask me to help you move and I check myself and I'm like, I don't have a yes for that. Then, then actually my no is not really the end of it, but I would I, I usually say the no is the start of a dialogue. So I could uh -huh. say, well, you know, I, I don't have a yes for moving. Um, you know, the idea of carrying boxes, it's just so draining to me and I really want to you know, take care of my energy or something like that. And then you hearing that you might think, well, you don't have to carry boxes so much. I, I would love to have someone actually just driving, or I would love to have someone that makes some lunch. Is, is that something that would bring you joy? And I might be like, yes, actually, I would be happy to make lunch for you. You know, so it's, it's a negotiation. Mm -hmm. So if I'm more honest about what is it that makes me not want to move, could be that there is a yes for something, maybe not, but... <laughs> Quite often there, there is a yes for, for helping in some way. Okay, so even to, to break this down even further, what happens after the obligation? So the obligation, the old obligation arose that my friend is asking me for something that as a friend, I, sh I, I feel like I should feel like I need to do this. Mm. And the first thing that you said was you check in with yourself. This is a, a type of epistemic. Like, do I actually know what's happening in myself? Do I know if I want to do this or not? Am I willing to be honest enough with myself to know if I want to do this or not? It's the mm -hmm. first thing. The yeah. second thing is some kind of courage to speak that truth. Because yeah. you even made the wincy face. You were like, well... <laughs> I don't actually have I don't actually have a yes for that. So you send the wincy face emotion emoji. Oops. Uh, sorry. I I love you but I I don't I don't have a yes for this. Yeah. And Yeah, and what's you could even translate that a little bit more into MVC to say that you know, I imagine you really would love to have some help because that's why I make that face, right? I I know what it's like to have to move uh -huh. and, and, and to be maybe a bit desperate for for help. Uh -huh. So yeah, I could even check in like, oh, are you very desperate for help? Or do you have uh -huh. 10 other people? And maybe uh -huh. it doesn't even matter if I say no. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the idea that it takes courage mm -hmm. to speak this truth, I think is something that we need to, that we need to like stay on for a moment. Right. Because I think in an ideal world, it would take no courage to speak what you feel. Right? Right? In a, 
If you had a perfect relationship that operated only in nonviolent communication with no obligation, speaking your truth would be just absolutely normal. It would take no courage because there would be no repercussion ever for speaking your truth. Mm-hmm. But we've grown up in a world that has so much obligation that speaking our truth, if it's contrary to what people expect or want of us, is very dangerous. And that's a sad reality, but it is a reality. So there is lots of courage involved in both learning, integrating, and applying nonviolent communication into our lives. I think that's worth recognizing. It takes so much courage to acknowledge that the way I learn to speak and communicate with myself and others is not doing it. Like my needs are not being met. I'm failing to express myself. Uh, Other people are feeling frustrated that they're not being heard or expressed. And it takes a lot of courage to admit that and then take another huge step towards learning something new and unlearning all the old patterns. I think that's worth noting that NVC takes a huge amount of courage to begin. On the idea of obligation here, I love this idea that you have to check in with yourself. This is intimacy. This is the base of intimacy. I think that we have a huge um, misunderstanding of what intimacy is in the world. And you actually can't be intimate unless you know what's going on inside of you, right? Mm -hmm. That definition of intimacy that I said earlier, sharing authentic thoughts, feelings, and actions in real time cannot happen unless you yourself can touch and know the authentic thoughts, feelings, and actions. So this is a huge part of it, knowing when to check in with yourself. So when someone asks you, hey, can you help me move? Are you willing to take the moment that it takes to ask yourself almost, right? Ask yourself, Mm -hmm. feel into it. Let me feel into that. There's another video that you recommended that a good strategy in this moment might be can I think about that? Mm-hmm. One of the biggest lessons I've had in the last couple of years is pace. It's around the speed of things. I think that we go too fast too often, whether that's in how fast our relationships develop, whether how fast we respond to a request. People are you know, we've just kind of grown accustomed to, hey, will you help me move on Saturday? Yes or no, right now. Yeah. Yeah, we don't write letters anymore, right? So the what's <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so this is such a this is such a big one for me. And I've been It's been so illuminating for me because I've realized 
how much of my life I've lived out of obligation. Hmm. Even in my most intimate, loving, most treasured relationships, right? Which is, that's a hard one because I'm like, oh my God, I've related to my girlfriend out of obligation. Hmm. It doesn't feel right. I don't want to tell her that. It's like, have I really been doing this? I feel like a, I feel like I've betrayed someone. Hmm. And so I think this is a really important one. How do we, how do we free ourselves from this obligation? Because we don't really want that. Like if I ask you, Hey, can you help me move on Saturday? And you just absolutely override everything inside of you that says no. And you tell me yes. And you come on Saturday and you sulk around and you feel terrible and it poisons our relationship. No one wants that. But we live in this world where we're just like, everyone's supposed to accept that kind of shit. So I really, I think that the, I want to stay with the idea of the old way being out of obligation and the new way being, as Rosenberg says, a happy child feeding a hungry duck. That's the spirit that it should be done in. Or as other people have put it, a full yes, or you know, I've heard if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. Hmm. And so I, I, I almost want to break this down here. It's like the first thing is this epistemic of knowing yourself or giving yourself a moment to tune into yourself, to ask yourself, what does your body say? What does your intuition say? What does your head say? What does your heart say? There's like all these different messages that we can kind of like tune into. And it takes patience, takes a moment, takes longer to do this than just blurting out yes or no. And then the other thing is courage, the courage to speak your truth at the risk of disappointing someone else. Hmm. Yeah. Can so I tell me about, yeah, please do, please. Yeah, because because I, I like what you you're saying now. It's it's about this this fear of that someone else might feel hurt when I mm -hmm. say no, right? Because mm -hmm. because we know how that feels and it, it can be painful. Yes. And like one thing I learned from one of my teachers is whenever I make a request to someone, like do you want to help me moving? I make that request itself, but underneath it there's another request, and it's do I matter to you? And that's one reason why it's so hard to say no, because we, mm. we intuitively know that it's, that it's not just about that superficial request of, you know, can you listen to me? Do you want to help me move? Do you want to go on holiday with me? But it also, it's also like, do I matter to you? So it's important if, if you want to answer it, that, that you can say yes to the do I matter to you, if that's the case, but usually it is the case. And it's only a no to this, to this specific request. Um, yeah. That's really so interesting. Very... What I hear is that so often when we make a logistical request of someone, like, will you help me move? We are tying to that question another deeper question and we're doing it subliminally we're doing it secretly of do i matter 
so that when yeah, they it's not even conscious, but yeah. yeah it's not even conscious it's not even conscious hmm that's so interesting what is the what is a what what do we do in ourselves to bring that question out of our subconscious and begin asking people with less like it's almost that's like a chain that's like a ball and chain that people um get tied to if we ask them something so what's what's yeah. yeah what's a better what's a better way for us to think about our requests well i think it's okay in a way that that we we want to know that we matter it's a very human thing we need other humans so that yes, we, we, we want that that sort of that confirmation i don't think there's necessarily something wrong with that but it does help to there's a difference between making a request and having a demand uh-huh um, and sometimes we like grammatically we ask a question do you want to help me move but actually in our head it's it's not an option that someone says no so it's actually not a request it's a demand uh-huh. shaped as and a question it's a exactly. demand with a question mark at the end of it <laughs> yes yes and so that's a tricky one so that's that's different from you know wanting to know that i matter that's i don't see that as a, as a problem but but they're not being choice for the other person. That's, that's huh. something that creates tension. Yeah. And so one way to, to go about that is, is actually to go back to what is my need. So I need to, I, I'm moving and I have a need for support. Uh-huh. And that need for support is not attached to one person. Uh-huh. So that's where we might want to question our thoughts. Like, you know, maybe my thought is that this particular friend has to help me because it's my best friend. You know, that's a thought. My best friend should help me with moving. I might, I might want to question that, uh-huh. but I don't want to question my need for support because that's, that's not attached to a person. That's just something that's in my body. That's just like, um, and so I want to make sure that I matter to myself and that my needs matter to me so that when one person says no, that I can, you know, find another person or find another uh-huh. way or negotiate with the person. So they uh-huh. make lunch for me or I love it. So that I feel more less, less attached to one specific request and just so flexible on the request, but, but firm on the need sort of mm. firm on my own. Yeah. My own needs. Yeah. And in that I hear the solution there is awareness of your own needs, because if you, mm. if you're asking someone to help move your things and make you matter, but you don't know that the second question's in there, you're kind of like signing up both of yourselves for like a bad time. But if you know that I need, what are my needs here? I need support because there's a bunch of boxes I need moved and I need to matter, that's coming up for me. Then if you have awareness of what your own needs are, then you're much less likely to, subconsciously project that need onto another person and be devastated Mm. when they say no, because when they say no, I actually have plans on Saturday. We hear, I don't have support and I don't matter, which isn't Mm. actually the case. Isn't actually the case. That's so interesting. 
this is the thing that comes up for me here is this, this same epistemic, like how aware of our own thoughts, feelings, and needs are we? So yeah. as much as nonviolent communication is a intersubjective modality, it's a way for us to communicate between you and me. It really is a framework that helps me understand me, helps me understand my thoughts, feelings, and needs. That was one of the things that you mentioned in the very onset of our conversation was that as people learn this, they tend to find out more about themselves than they originally thought they would. They think mm-hmm. it's an intra-subjective modality and they find out that it's very inner subjective. It's they're learning mm-hmm. about themselves. I think that's, um, you know, like I said, we say it over and over that the quality of your relationships is bound to the quality of the relationship to yourself. And that just is true over and over and over. We actually don't realize how profound that actually is. Mm-hmm. We've, we've stuck with this, this idea of obligation for a while. I think that's so important. And I think I want to free, I had that come up in my relationship yesterday where I think I felt a certain way and I brought up a grievance to my partner and she held space for it. But then right after, like the resentment came out that she felt like she had been taken advantage of, that she was like a scapegoat. I was, I, I was taken aback. I was like, wait, did you apologize for something you think that you didn't mean? And it turned out, yes, she said things she didn't mean. Mm. Um, there's obligation and that's such an old program in us. Mm. Yeah. I, I want to, I know we're, we're almost at an hour here. I want to touch on one more thing here. In a number of your videos, you've delineated a difference between strategies and needs. And I was hoping you could talk to us about what is a strategy and what is a need and how can we use this extra piece, this piece of strategies to strengthen this framework that we're using. Mm. Yeah, I'm glad you're asking me this because I was already a little bit worried when we talked about needs that um, I want to sort of emphasize what NVC means by needs because we, we say in daily life, I need coffee, right? Or I need, <laughs> I need a, I don't know, I need a better computer. And so that's actually what NVC says, those are strategies. So strategies are the concrete things that I want, which could be, yeah, it could be anything. I want a certain house. I want, uh, I want someone to listen to me right now or... Um, yeah, I want to do, I want to have a yoga class. Those are all strategies. And at the level of strategies, um, I can clash with other people because, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's good to put my children to bed early and my partner thinks not. Those are strategies and they can clash. Um, so the level of the, the needs, if you go to that level, those are abstract. So um, like in the example of I want to p- put my children to bed early maybe my need is rest mm-hmm. 
a connection with my partner or something like that. And that's something that the other person is, is more likely to be able to relate to because those needs are universal. So everyone sometimes has a need for rest. So if I, if I say that that's what's behind my strategy, it's more likely that someone will understand me, even if my strategy is something very extreme. Like if there's two religions, for example, that clash with each other, you know, the, the strategies might be very opposing, mm -hmm. but the needs are, yeah, every human being has the same needs. Mm. Does that clarify a little bit? Uh, it's a very, it's, it's very, it's a very complex thing, but. No, I, what I hear is that strategies are the things that we do to try to meet our needs. Yes. Strategies exactly. are the things we do to try to meet our needs and conflict is often at the level of strategy and not at the level of need. Yes, actually, Marshall Rosenberg would say conflict is always on the level of strategies. And if you think you are on the level of needs, but you still feel like you're clashing, you're not actually on the level of needs. Uh, sometimes we might say the need, but we might not, you know, in the end, it's not about the words, right? It's about the consciousness of... Mm -hmm actually there's a need behind this and mm -hmm. we could say well well i really have a need i don't know i really have a need to be heard and but secretly i have a strategy attached to it i want mm -hmm. you to listen to me right now mm -hmm. that's a strategy so then when i say my need to you but i have a need to be heard you might feel pressure you might not feel compassion mm -hmm. because you can sense that actually in my head I'm actually attached to the strategy. And so, the timing. Yeah, the strategy, the timing or the person or the, mm -hmm. yeah, mm, very interesting. Yeah, and this is, is more advanced. It's, it's really about, yeah, noticing, like, am I really, yeah, parking my, do I dare to park my strategy and trust that my need will actually be met? This is, this, I really like that you keep pointing out how you're raised as a child not having choice and not 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 always getting your needs met yeah and so we need to when you learn mvc you need to rebuild this trust that people are actually that that you're able to meet your needs and that people are also willing to contribute to that it's like like to rebuild that trust in yourself and in other people and that's when you are more able to let go of those strategies of being hurt being listened to right now by my partner mm -hmm. if i can trust that you know if i relax for a moment and maybe some someone will come to mind that that i could mm -hmm. call or because i trust that people actually mm -hmm. care about me mm -hmm. yeah that's so that's very illuminated actually and as we talk about this i can see the ways in which i've almost like weaponized my needs right like to say I have a need to be heard, which is the, the sharp end of that is the strategy that you said. I actually want you to listen to me right now and in a very specific way and don't interrupt me. And there's all these yeah. like kind of like add-ons that aren't spoken that like, if they don't do it, I'm going to feel like I don't matter and I'm devastated and then I'm triggered and then the whole thing, mm -hmm. it's crazy. I, it's crazy what gets tagged onto these things. It's crazy what gets tagged onto these things. It's crazy what I tag onto these things. 
Yeah, and then to have compassion for yourself because because it's it's just it's a it's a reaction of fear of like mm -hmm. you know maybe I won't get hurt and that's something mm -hmm. very deep like that's like I said that you know for, from a child on we didn't maybe get hurt so it's yeah it, it can be tempting then to blame ourselves also like oh I should let go of everything and just be on the level of needs but it doesn't work like that it's it's yeah you might need a moment to mourn that if you wanted your partner to hear you and it's not possible yeah it sucks of course you prefer her to listen to you you know like that there's yeah yeah wow yeah this is a very rewarding thing to think about honestly i find it very rewarding to ruminate on how i have learned to communicate and the ways in which the style of communication I've been raised is killing me, hmm. to put it seriously. It's yeah. just absolutely killing me. It's like every problem I've ever had is, is addressed here. You know, it's really crazy. I don't know how to, I don't know how to express the, the unfolding profundity like as i continue to go into this it just like my entire life all of the problems i've ever had all of my relationships my childhood everything is like kind of um it's a incredibly powerful framework to understand my life and how i am and my relationships so um i really appreciate uh, your help in that and the videos that you've made have been very practically illuminating. And so I want to mm -hmm. encourage you as much as I can to continue that. I know that um, there's so many other people who have found so much uh, value and, and help from those. So there was also something that you mentioned about a course that you're doing about this shedding obligation. And I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's actually, it's just an introduction course uh, for MVC. It's called MVC Foundations. And we're going to start in June. And it's really about about applying MVC. Because like you said, you read the book, but then then what? Then you, yeah. you try it out and it doesn't work and you're not, you're not sure why. So it's, so I really want to provide a space for people to, to sort of practice in a safe environment before they throw themselves out out there in the real life in the real world um yeah so so i'm i'm excited i'm do, doing it together with kara chrysler a friend of mine and um yeah if people are curious they can check it out we also have some free webinars and things like that if people want to get to know me a little bit more before they you know decide to work with me or not uh -huh. so people can check my website and it's there's all sorts of free stuff also a list of needs i think that's actually if people want to any anywhere What's the first step now to do? I would say download my need list because then you just have a list of needs that you can can sort of practice with. Like, oh, what's my need right now? And what's my feeling? There's a list of mm -hmm. feelings as well. Mm, so I yes, think that will I, be the first thing I would recommend actually. Yes, I downloaded those a long time ago and those are very helpful. <laughs> well, I hope that you will send me the link to those things. The website is cupofempathy.com, correct? Yes. And I'll definitely 
provide those links and I hope people will check those out. I am mm -hmm. so glad that we had this talk. Very yeah, helpful for me. Mm -hmm. And I'll link your work below. Thank you so much. I hope we can do this again. Yeah, me too. I liked it. <laughs> okay, Marianne, thank you so much. Okay. Enjoy your evening. You too. Okay, see you later. Okay, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. I had a great time talking with Marianne this morning. Very insightful. I hope you'll check out her work. Consider look into that introductory course that she has. Um, and yeah, check out her YouTube channel. So thank you so much, Marianne, for coming on. I really appreciate it. I appreciate all the work that you've done. It's helped me immensely, and I know many others. So uh, absolute pleasure to connect with you here, and I hope that we can do this again soon. I already have more questions. So you guys, thanks for listening. Consider becoming a patron at Patreon or making a donation at paypal.me slash air. I love you guys so much. Hi, Chris and Kelly, and we will see you on the next episode. See you guys.